<clears throat> Matthew 21, we're going to start with the first verse. You know, I've been talking about the last week of Jesus' life. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the last week of Jesus' life and um, how important that is because he's just like everything is being condensed. And one of the things that's happening in uh, uh, what we call Palm Sunday is the beginning. It begins in the Bible. It's in every gospel. There's not, there's quite a few things that are not in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm calling the gospels, is what we call them. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have an account that is like Matthew 21. And like I said, uh, the synopsis gospel, which is Matthew and Mark and Luke, they may have the same thing, but it might not be in John, the book uh, John. And some things that are in John are not in the other gospels. <clears throat> That's why I want you to go to John, not now, but John, read John four, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. Read those four chapters of John. I mean, if you never did anything else in your whole life, read John chapter 14 through 17. Beautiful. <clears throat> Excuse me. So anyway, John, the last week, this is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. It is the beginning of him. Uh, the beginning of it is he's focusing on, it's called, we call it Palm Sunday, one week before the Resurrection Sunday. Palm Sunday is when he triumphantly goes into Jerusalem. And like I said, this is one way. It also carries on to the next day. They, they leave and they come back the next day. So that's why Matthew 21 is like the first day. Matthew 22 is the second day. All of them are important. Right? Now he may leave and come back within 21, but I'm talking about primarily. Okay? And so <clears throat> this is uh, so important because this time period, this right, right way, just Jesus coming in, this time period is all about something that involves us. And it's all about why, well, all about doing and why Jesus and God is going to leave Israel, is going to forsake Israel for the Gentiles. And that's what's going to be going on. And if you don't understand that, you're going to miss it if you don't understand how important that is, you're going to miss it. And then it goes into Matthew 23, 24. They're just as important. Matthew 25, all, all, amazing. But these are teachings that he's giving. Most of them on, are on the Mount of Olives because he's coming from Bethel, which is a little over uh, to, to the Mount of Olives. And then it comes down into uh, Beth, Bethphage, and at the base of Mount of, the Mount of Olives, and he comes into the East Gate, which is significant because that's where the Messiah comes into is the East Gate of of the Temple, and and, and uh, as he comes down there, there uh, Bethel is uh, uh, Bethany, excuse me, is just a short distance 
from uh, Israel, uh, Israel J- Jerusalem, excuse me. And then uh, uh, Bethphage is even a closer dif- distance. And from Bethphage, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so, and all of this is significant because everything he does as the Messiah is pointed toward God going to the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean he forsake every Jew in the world, uh, you know, or anybody else in the world, but it's something as far as the dealings with, he, he's going to be dealing with, is with Israel. I mean, is with the Gentiles. Now, here's an interesting thing. When he is in Matthew 24 and 25, he comes upon uh, uh, a fig tree, uh, and it isn't, hasn't, ha- well, he states that before the fig tree blossoms, uh, you will see all these things happening. And that was, that's in the last days. And I just, I, got, I, I keep getting my head pointed towards this. I don't want to go into any details of this, but this is magnificent. Okay. I, I, I got involved in the middle of the night in this particular sermon, and it had to do with this fig tree blossoming. And uh, it's so incredible because um, 1914, uh, that we were involved either in or in the beginning of World War I. In 1914 in America, they had a prophetic conference. And at that prophetic conference, they were decided, the whole idea of the conference was, is this the last days? Because World War I was just beginning or, you know, it was involved. Okay, whether it's starting or ending. And so uh, they're wondering, is this the last days? And they came to an agreement, large of Christians, large group of Christians, and they came to an agreement, no, this is not the time. No man knows the day or the hour. But it talks about how we as Christians in Thessalonians, first Thessalonians, we shall not be taken over as the others, the believers. Uh, that day shall not come to us as a thief in the night because we are believers and God will warn us through his prophets. So they have this prophetic conference and they decide at the conference, no, it won't be this time. Why? Because this fig tree that Jesus referred to, the fig tree shall not blossom until that day. When that fig tree blossoms, the days are coming. And so they decided that the, the, uh, frequently in Scripture, the fig tree is a representation of Israel. And so they decided until Israel becomes a nation again, You'll not see these last days. Okay. Now, what's interesting? What, what's so interesting about that? Well, first of all, uh, at that point in time, it was said, I don't know if anybody actually proved this, but there wasn't anybody living in Israel. There was one person left, one Jewish person left in all of Israel. And I don't know how they figured that out, that there was only one. And you say, what are you talking about? Israel's a nation. Israel's a nation. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons they said that 
is because in Isaiah 66, it says, who has ever seen such a thing? Who has ever heard of such a thing? A nation born in a day. A nation born in a day. And here they are saying that Israel, with only one person left in all the land of Israel, one Jewish person, how is that even possible that the nation Israel shall become a nation again? That's, that's, to the world, that would be absurd and ridiculous. The only thing in 1948, June 5th, uh, May 15th, the nation Israel became a nation again. Jews from all over the world came back to Israel and God gave them. And there, there was a beautiful song out in the 60s that was called, uh, uh, was the title of it was The Exodus. And uh, it's about, the, they made a movie about it with Paul Newman in it and Eva Marie Saint and uh, Sal Minio. And they, it was this huge ship loaded with Jewish people and they had come and they were set on the beach there, the, you know, where, where uh, they were set on the same beach. They called it Gaza Strip and so many other names to it this time. And they came pouring in and they poured in to Israel, the, the land, and they became a nation again and they've grown to millions. Okay? And the song was, This land is mine. God gave this land to me. And that was how the song began of Exodus. And so they were right when it was totally ridiculous. If you had a lot of money, you could have found some odds and bet on it and made some money if you were willing to wait till 1948. And then so many things were happening, started happening then, and continued to happen, and is continuing to happen, even until now. And Jesus is going to come back for him. He's coming back for his nation, Israel. He's going to put his foot, he's going to, when his foot touches the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in two. And he's going to come back with in clouds, and those clouds are going to be us. And we're going to go into the East, he's going to, the Messiah, their Messiah is going to go into the East Gate. And it's really impressive. So I saw a teaching, you know, what's going to happen then is Daniel's 70th week. It's not really just Daniel's 70th week, it's also Jeremiah's 70th week. And then I heard this teaching on it, and he says, Daniel is first of all the most, uh, of all the books of the Bible, uh, it is the most confirmed, all right, authentic. And you don't even need it because Jesus refers to in the last days, Daniel's 70th week. Whew. You get that Jesus spoke about it. So that would be enough for us, right? We wouldn't even need to know that. that. And you know where Daniel's 70th week besides Jeremiah? It's in uh, Daniel, the ninth chapter, and it's verse 24 through 27. And it is, and I listened to this teaching, he says, it is the greatest of all uh, prophecies in the Bible to be fulfilled 
and authenticated by reality. Did you understand what I just said? You know, it would be like it would be like a prophecy saying that America is going to be discovered, and they're going to their their capital is going to be Washington D.C. You read that in a verse in, written hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, Jesus was born in in a, a B.C. before Christ. Wow. The most, and then it says in Daniel's 70th week of prediction, there is also Daniel's 69th week of prediction, and it's the most uh, proved of all predictions. It comes, to, it gives dates, and it comes down to the exact day. But it isn't easy. For the first uh, chapter, if you read the from uh, Dan, uh, chapter 9 all the way to where Gabriel gives this revelation to Daniel. All of that, nearly, nearly all, 19 out of 20 verses, is Daniel praying. It's a huge prayer. And he prays, and he's fasting, and Gabriel comes to him, and he gives him the revelation of Daniel's 70th week. June, excuse me, Daniel 9, verse 24 through 27. And this one speaker says, as far as he's concerned, it's the greatest of all prophecies in the Bible. Whoa. I don't know if I can really agree with him on that. But the fact that somebody said he's a great teacher I was listening to, the fact that he said it, was enough to get me reinvested in it. So Daniel's 70th week is mentioned by Jesus because he just mentions this, this one term, the abomination of desolation. And the abomination of desolation is mentioned in that revelation. Whew. I mean, this is big stuff, okay? So anyway... All right, we have Daniel's 21st week. And I read this, I, most translations say donkey, and you know that the King James says ass. Okay, well, I'm going to just say donkey most of the time and then forget and read it and say ass. So anyway, and when they drew near to Jerusalem, they were come to Bethphage, Unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if any man say unto you, you sh- uh, What are you doing? You shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And the prophet was Zechariah uh, 9.9. Uh, next verse. Saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto you, meek, sitting upon a donkey, and the colt of the foal of a donkey. Now this again is Zechariah 9.9. And so it says this, 
And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their clothes. And they set him thereon. And a very great, mul- great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches. These would be palm branches from the trees and he strewed them in front of them. And the multitudes that were went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll leave this one up there. This is so significant because this is from uh, Psalm 118. And uh, let's, let's go to this. We're going to come back to this. Let's go to Psalm 118. And I, know I want everybody to see this because it's so important. This is a, a psalm that was used in at least three festivals. The festival that's coming up is the festival of the Passover, or unleavened bread, as it's called sometimes. So put, put up uh, uh, Psalm 118, and uh, let's go down to the uh, 10th verse, okay? Sorry. This is, uh, I know I've done this before, but please, this is so important. All nations encompass about me, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed about me, yes, they compassed about me, but in the name of the Lord I destroyed them. This is David writing. They compassed about me like bees. They are quenched, they are quenched as the fire of horns, and in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. We sing that, the Lord is my strength and my song. The voice of rejoicing in salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. That's part of the song that we used to sing. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and live to declare the works of the Lord. This is a scripture that I've known many people that have given uh, a, a sentence of death. You know, you've got so, so long to live, but they would live, I shall not die, but live to declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not forgiven, he hath not given me over to death more of that verse. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into into them. I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will pray. That's the gate that we shall pray. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. More of the song. I will praise thee. Now we get into the prophecies that are going to be referred to in uh, Matthew 21. This is uh, a number of prophecies that come out that Jesus is going to refer to. But not all of the things that come out of this are referred to by Jesus. There are some things that happen that is going to explain what's going on. But you might know this one yourself. The stone the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. The stone the builders, that is mentioned five times in the New Testament. 
Once in the scripture, Matthew 21. Once in 1 Peter. Once, once in Ephesians 2. And it's talking about in 1 Peter, the stone the builders rejected. The, the belief in history may, have, may be a myth, but it is based upon historical uh, references because what happened was the stone the builders re- refused is become, has become. When they were building the temple, they, were quar- they would quarry the stones at, uh, at their site, and then they would number them according to where they were supposed to be laid in the temple. And so they uh, sent this stone over, and the builders looked at it and says, this can't possibly be the number of the stone that uh, fits there. It just doesn't fit. And then the, uh, there's a different uh, um, uh, beliefs on wh- how, what all this meant. But they laid it aside, and they thought it was going to have to be taken back up to the quarries. And so the next number comes, and it doesn't fit either, but it goes into the second place. And so they just kept building from there, and they didn't understand that. And they got all the way through laying the foundation, and then they realized that that stone that they had put aside actually fits perfect in that spot. And so it says, the stone the builders rejected has become the headstone. It became the headstone, the head of the foundation, it says there in in Ephesians 2. Jesus Christ is that stone, according to 1 Peter. Jesus Christ is the stone, and he says something very disturbing about the stone. He says, that stone, which is Jesus, if you fall on it, you shall be broken. You would have a broken heart. But if it falls on you, it will grind you to powder. And it will fall on you. If if you've fallen on it, you don't have to worry about it falling on you. But if it falls on you, it's going to... And that's what it says. What that means, I don't know. It just sounds serious to me. Okay? So this one's going to be referred to later. Uh, Next verse. This is the Lord's doing... It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We sing that song. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. But this says, this is the day. What day? The stone the builders rejected. What day? The day that is happening there in their presence. This is the day. You know, that time period that was happening. This is the day we will rejoice and be glad in it. We will, we rejoice and are glad in it. And then it says this, save now, leave this verse up. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Now let me explain something to you. Uh, but before I start, I, I, I pretty, I'm, yeah fairly learned in the scriptures. Uh, I can hold my own. And, uh, you know, I um, heard a statement one time that says, what we know about God is a whole lot less than what we don't know. And I'll be the first one to tell you that. 
It seems like the smarter and the most knowledge I get in the Word, the dumber I am. Okay? And there's just so much more about God. We were singing a song a while ago. I, I tried to memorize the verses of the song, but it reminded me of the other song that says, If the ocean was ink and the sky was a parchment, you know, and every feather, you know, they used to write with feathers, they call them quills, okay? If every feather in every quill was a pen, and we had the ocean was an ink, was ink, and the part we could write about the goodness and the glory and the beauty of God, and we would run out of ink before we said all the wonderful things that are about God. You know, you can't. It's, it's, now I say this because I have studied these verses extensively, probably a whole lot more than you have. I have more time. I do it. I spend it. I spend a lot of time studying. And I've studied these verses. And I could not find where uh, Hosanna was. Now, the reason I say this is I knew that this is the verse where the Hosanna is used. From, from this verse, is the Hosanna comes. And I couldn't figure it out. And I said, well, is it Hebrew? And I looked up in Hebrew. I could not find it. I said, is it, is it, is it in... Uh, Greek, is it in the Septuagint? Is what, what, where is this verse? Why is that important? Because you remember what we just left on? Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the people waved these palm branches. In other, in other Gospels, it talks about waving the palm branches. And the pe- but the people sang this too, these, this, this proclamation. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, I told you before, Psalm 118 is used in three of the festivals. And one of the festivals that it's used is called the Festival of Tabernacle. We have, they have that in October sometime. In the Festival of Tabernacles, they lived in these tabernacles. So not only, only did they cut down branches, but there'd be these palm branches laying everywhere. What A tabernacle was kind of a lean-to tent. With, but it was covered with palm branches. And the word tabernacles means tent. And the Feast of Tabernacles is when the, on the Feast of Tabernacles week, the people would go out and they would lay in their, uh, their tent, which indicated that they were celebrating how the nation of Israel lived in tents before they came into the Promised Land. And so that's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the Feast of Tabernacles... The people on the last day, on the last Sabbath, they would go into the holy place, which was the, uh, the tabernacle, tabernacle of Moses, or in the temple, and they would bring these palm branches and they would wave them. But they did not say Hosanna. When they got into the temple, there would be a responsive reading from uh, Psalm 118. But when it come to the verse where it had Hosanna in it, the priests were the only ones that would say that because they were the intercessors for the people. They would say an intercess to God because it's, uh, Hosanna means save now I beseech thee. And I finally fi- figured out where Hosanna, the name comes from because it comes from two names, save now and then I beseech thee. And it's, uh, uh, Hosanna, 
something and it sounds like Hosanna. And Anna is the last word for IBCC, Anna. It says, Hoshan, Hana. So that's where Hosanna comes from in the Hebrew, from, is the Hebrew Hosha. And I, and I'm saying that to, you know, I didn't find this out till within the last three months. I didn't know that it, I, I knew it came from there, but I didn't know why. And I couldn't figure it out. And I just learned that recently. Now, why did I say that? You're not going to learn everything. There's going to be times when you don't find the answer to what you're looking for. But it'll come to someday. Or maybe not. I'll tell you the difference between doubt and uh, uh, a holy hunger for the Lord. There's a perfect example. Zachariah was Elizabeth's husband. And he went into the temple. He's a very old man. And the angel of the Lord came to him and said, you're going to have a, son, have a child with your wife. Now, he could have laughed like uh, Abraham and Abraham's wife laughed. They both laughed, by the way, when they got that word. But he, instead he says, how, how can that be? I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. How is that possible? And he told him. And then he told him that you're not, he struck him dumb. And he was dumb. Dumb means he couldn't speak. He was not able to say a word, Zechariah, until John the Baptist was born. Now, we already know before that, that Mary, the word of the Lord came to Mary and says, you're going to bear a child. And she says, how can this be? Same, same sentence. But then he explained it. The Holy Spirit is going to come up. Well, there's only one explanation in my mind. It's, well, you, you could, there too, you treat Mary differently than you treat Zechariah. That's not the answer. Uh, no, the only one explanation in my mind is when Mary said it, she wasn't doubting it. She just didn't know how that was possible. And so that's what she wondered. How is that? How are you going to do that? And Zechariah was like, oh yeah, how is that possible? You know, it's unbelief. You follow me? Uh, uh, a holy inquisitiveness, curiosity, is when you hunger for the, the meaning of something and you just drive deeper and deeper and deeper into find it. But uh, a bad curiosity is when you, you don't, you're not really curious, you just read it and say, I don't believe that. How is that, how is that true? You know? Well, when Jesus spoke this parable of the, of the sower, he, you know, uh, all the things. At the end of that parable, the disciples came to him and says, why do you speak to the people in parables? You know what? You know, they disguised their question. You know what the real question is? What did that mean? What do those parables mean? That's really what they, they didn't know. The people left him because they didn't know what he was talking about. So, ah, ah, ah. I don't get it. I don't get it, you know. But the disciples came back and says, what, how does that, what does that mean? And why do you speak to them in parables? He says, for to them is not given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto you it's given. Unto who is it given? The one that keeps coming back says, what do you mean by that, Lord? What did you mean by that, Lord? You see, well, this, that's why I want to share that about this first. Save now 
I beseech thee. Hosanna, that means Hosanna. And the priest would say that. All right, this is the beginning. This is the very beginning of a, of a, of a hint that is, that God is going to take away from Israel and give it to the Gentiles. That didn't mean that a lot of Jews were going to become Messianic Jews, Christians. Okay? They are. They're the first church. But they're not Israel anymore. They are the church. We'll find that out next Sunday. All right? And he says, I beseech you, O Lord, I beseech you, send now prosperity. The people are beginning to do something that the priest would do. And the priest don't like it from the very beginning. They're like, I don't like being replaced. I'm getting older. I'm going to be replaced. I don't like it. But I got to submit to the will of God. Hello? I mean, it's like, I don't want you to mouth back. Well, I do. No, please don't do that. All right? So, We've talked about the transferal of the priesthood back to the people. Hello? Let's read a couple of more verses first before we go back. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of Israel. Next verse. God is our Lord, which has shown us the light and blind, excuse me, bind the sacrifice to the course. We're going to end with this one. Bind the sacrifice to the cords. I, I just got to bring this one up because it's so, even to the horns of the altar. Bind the, the sacrifice with cords, even to the horn of the altar. Do you know, do, do you understand what that verse means? What is the sacrifice? Jesus. What are the horns of the altar? The cross. Now I say that, because when Jesus is, is with his disciples, uh, what we call the Last Supper or the, the, you know, the Good Supper, the good, good Shepherd was with his disciples. And you know, this is he's even with Judas, who's going to betray him. And he's at the Lord's table, uh, the, the Last Supper. And they would have had this uh, reading going back and forth and Jesus would have said this to his disciples out of Psalm 118. Bind the sacrifice with cords. He is talking about himself. Bind me to the cords with the nails to the altar. With Judas right there with him. Can you see how you know, one of the things, oh, I didn't want to get, I'm going to, I'm going to, forgive me, Lord, if I'm wrong. There's something that I'm very obsessed with, and I've been obsessed with for, for months. And it's the verse of scripture that t- says, Second uh, Corinthians 5, which is talking about being reconciled unto God. 21, the last verse, says, He, God, the Father, made Him, Jesus, the Son. I'm adding those, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son. He hath made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, that you and I might be made 
the righteousness of God. And don't leave, and don't use this out of context, but I think God is insane. He is insane. He takes my sin and he lays it on Jesus. It's confirmed in the Old Testament, but it's said like this. Verse 6, Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has gone his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what really blows my mind, what really shows me that God the Father is insane. He says this in uh, verse 10 of Isaiah 53. It pleased the Father. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. To bruise it. And that verse means crush. It pleased the Lord to crush him. To bruise. Bruise means crush. Pleased the Lord to crush him. Not only did the Father lay my sin on the Son, but it pleased him to crush his Son. That's insane but I sure love him for it. Hello? I just, it's just, it's too much. I keep thinking of this. What an exchange. You know, there's a movie, I may have read references to it, forgive me. There's a movie, a TV show out, um, that been out, it's called uh, The Enemy Within. It's about a CIA agent. She's, uh, uh, really high up, and she gets a phone call saying, if you don't tell me the five operatives in such and such a place, uh, the names of them, within one minute I'm going to kill your daughter, and he has her daughter with him. And he says, no, 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 she's trying to talk him out of it, and he's going down, he gets to like ten seconds to go, and she just shouts out all the names. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And she was arrested for treason. And she's the most hated person in all of the America. But what did she do? She was the exact opposite of God. She sacrificed everybody else for her daughter. He sacrificed his son for everybody else. Insane. By our, by our judgments, by our rationale, that's insane. You know, you know the reckless love of God that we just sang? The reckless love of God? I have somebody who says, I don't like that verse. I don't like to call God reckless. I remember when it talked about we, God is an extravagant God. I didn't like that reference. I come to love both of them. Reckless love of God. How reckless can you be to take your son and make him with, with my sin... To give me his righteousness. That is stupid. That is reckless. That's insane. But oh, I love him for it. What? God. God. You're God for crying out loud. You're God. How could you do that? How could you do that? And how could you, you know, nail your son to the cross and say... It pleases me to bruise him. Wow. Please. That's insane. But I love him for it. 
Oh my goodness. Bind the sacrifice to the cords. The horns of the altar with the cords. He's talking about his own crucifixion. When he washed Judah's feet, he knew all this was going to happen. When he breaks bread with Judas, he knows it's going to happen. Wow. Okay, let's go back to Matthew 21. We're not going to do the whole chapter, but I just want to go on and we'll end. I got two minutes left. Yeah. Will anybody give me five minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. That's all I can get is 30 minutes. Okay, that'll do. I'll make that work. Where we, where we left off, and in, in, uh, I want to make sure I get this point in. Okay. The multitudes went before him and followed and cried, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And they're repeating uh, Psalm 118, uh, verse 25. It says, in the multi- next verse, And when he was come unto Jerusalem, all the city was moved. <laughs> you know what that word moved, we, we get past these words. And I want to tell you something. If you don't think going into original is important, boy, I'm going to get you within a short time. But this word moved ought to be enough. It's the Greek word we get earthquake from. It's the word seismic. You know what seismic means? It means the whole, the, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? Let's go, next verse. And the multitude said, this is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and, and bought in the temple and overthrew their tables, the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. That's in the, you can leave that one up. And we're going to close with this one. That's that thing that the, going on here is in an area of the temple called the courts of the Gentiles. And if you saw the temple, you would see this rectangular shape around it that before you went into the inner courts of the temple, the, it was called the courts of the Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles came and they would buy these animals to sacrifice in the temple and the priest would, would, uh, would rip them off. You'd be paying five, tens, twenty times more than you could go outside and buy it there. But it had to have the approval of the priest. And that's where they were making a killing with their racket. And, but the Gentiles were buying these animals there. And so they're taking the Gentiles, they're, they're fleecing them, you know. And so that in the, the, the week of the Passover, they sold as many as 250,000 lambs. That's not counting all the other animals that were sacrificed. 250,000 lambs that were sold to these Gentiles that would buy these lambs. And it had to be stamped with the priest. You know, because it, the priest had overlooked it to see that there was no false in the, in the lambs. And they were being taken. The priest, the, the Levites, the, the, the priesthood of God, they did not even consider the course of the Gentiles as being um, part of the temple. 
They didn't. Now, what does he do? He beats the money changers out of the temple with a whip. And then he says, well, let's go to the next verse. And then he says, and he said to them, it is written. Where is it written? In Jeremiah 7.11. All right. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Boy, what slanderous, what heresy could he possibly have done? The first thing he goes into the temple and he says something that was so wrong to the priest. Right then and there, they didn't like him. Well, they started not liking him a long time before that. But they're really not liking this. The people are yelling Hosanna. And now he's saying he beats, he gets rid of our number one money maker. And now he's saying my house. He not only, there's two things that are so absolutely amazing there. One is where he's doing it and after what he has just done. But the other one is he's saying my house. He is saying my house. Jesus is saying my house. You understand what he's saying? He didn't say their house. He didn't say Israel's house. He didn't say, you know, Solomon's temple. He says, my house. Now he's quoting a verse of scripture that is from uh, Zechariah. Uh, no, excuse me, Jeremiah 7, 11. My house shall be ha- called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. A den of thieves is not just, you know, a lot of thieves. The den is where the thieves went to get get away from everybody else. All right? It was a den of thieves. You've made it a den of thieves, you horrible people. (laughs) My house. Now the priests are really upset. You have the audacity to call that your house. They hated him for it. They hated him for it. And so they wanted to get rid of him right then and there. And now the rest of 21 and 22, God's going to give you, he's given you two themes already. Two themes. One of them is the priesthood is going to be returned to the Gentiles. Taken away from Israel, returned to the Gentiles. The other one is, uh, the, the, is going to be combined with the last scripture which says, uh, uh, we're going to crush Satan's head, but we'll get to that in, uh, in 20, 22. But the other one is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. You see, those are the two things that are happening right then. And all the way through, he's crying out to Israel. Now he's crying out by saying, you're going to lose it. Like in one, one of the, right in this, uh, right when he comes in, in one of well, the other Gospels, it says, he puts his arms out like this, Jesus, he says, as a mother hen would put her feathers out to cover her children. Oh, that I would cover thee. Oh, that I might cover thee. And he's reaching out to them, but he's reaching, like I said, he's reached, pounding them at the same time. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. It's going to go to them. It's going to go to them. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. He came unto his own and his own refused him, rejected him. His own refused him. His own refused him. He came unto his own. His own received him not. 
They rejected him. They rejected him. Now he's coming back for them. Don't get me wrong. He's not going to. God isn't forsaking his covenant with Israel. He's coming back to them, and it's in a process that started in 1948. And they are they're they're doing things in Israel you don't know about. They are restoring. They're going to restore the temple. They're going to restore the animal sacrifice. You know, I, I, I shouldn't say, I'm, I'm going to end with this one. Uh, I, I read this by a reputable historian. And he was actually reporting something of the one of the most reputable of all, uh, not of all, but uh, historians that was, uh, uh, his, you know, I'm searching for a word here. Easy word, easy word. Go on. A man that was uh, spent his whole life uh, about history, and, and an archaeologist. That's what he was an archaeologist, and he studied all of Israel and everything. And he was uh, quite accurate, and he was his uh, standards were quite high in saying. This was this time period and such and such. But he came upon something, and uh, he was searching and praying, the archaeologist, his Christian, and he was searching, and he came across something, and uh, he says, that's the way to the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant. You know, the only place that anybody ever thought maybe the Ark of the Covenant was literally today is in Turkey. You know, that's, they have a place that's guarded 24-7, and nobody knows what's in it. And people just thought that must be the Ark of the Covenant, you know. Indiana Jones didn't get the Ark of the Covenant. It's not in a big warehouse in, in Washington. And so he says, there's the place. The, the, it was, you had to go down a really wrong tomb. And he found out something. Uh, this, this may not... This may not be the truth. I'm going to tell you anyway. I got excited about it. That where the cross was put, they didn't have, they didn't dig holes. Where it was put, you know, in Golgotha Hill, is they had places for crosses. And the places for the cross was in concrete or, you know, cement, concrete, and, or stones, big stones. And they had wedges in for the crosses to be set, like at the tip of the cross, was like a square, went right down into this hole that it was put. And so he started doing some excavation where he was told in the prayer, the Ark of the Covenant is that away in, in the tombs. And so he came to this place in the tombs and he could see there was just a little slot and he couldn't and they said you can't do any more than to look in there. And if you looked in this little slot, you could see something that might be or look like the Ark of the Covenant. All right? Well, that Ark of the Covenant, where it was located, was right underneath where the cross would have been put, put down. All right? In that slot. And when Jesus bled, the blood would go down the cross and fall into that crevice and hole that was where it was and fall on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat. 
just like the lamb's blood was applied to that. And I don't know if that's true or not, but boy, I'll tell you what, it's still exciting. It wouldn't surprise me of all the things that happened. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He took it away from Israel. He's giving it back to us. What are we going to do about it? We know we're priests unto God. It says so in 1 Peter. We know that He saved the Gentiles, according to Acts 15, to restore the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Tabernacle of David is where they brought the Ark of the Covenant into, and they worshipped and praised around Him 24-7. Pray, praise and prayer around it. The gen- not the Gentiles, but the people. So, hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I know it may, not, it may be an offensive word, just as reckless, extravagant might be offensive words. But you're insane. And I love you for it. I love you that you're so crazy. You're crazy in love with me. You're crazy in love with everyone in this room. You're so crazy in love with, you have made, made your son, your beloved son, who knew no sin, who never know sin, with all the sins of the world, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You didn't just take my sin and put it in him. You took me and put me in him. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father for being crazy in love with us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.